Good morning, everyone. Welcome to the morning worship hour here at Victory Baptist Church for this Sunday, August the 23rd, 2020. And yes, we are once again live streaming. And I can tell you without any without any worry that I would change my mind in five minutes, I have grown weary of doing the live streaming thing. I have grown very weary of it, very tired of it. It is so hard. It is so difficult to sit here and and to teach um, this way. It, it really is like it's hard to explain. It's hard to explain. Doing doing a podcast is one thing, right? Um, when you when you put together a podcast episode, there's a kind of a certain way of thinking. But when you're going to go into a full hour of Bible teaching, and and especially the way I teach. I need, like, I, 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 my, the only way for me to even be halfway a, a, a successful teacher, whether people hate the way I teach or dislike the way I teach, the, the only way I think I have any, any hope of being even considered halfway successful is I need people in front of me because I, I, I want, I, I like to pose questions. I like to, I like that interaction. I like he's telling you to look something up, asking a question, posing a problem, watching you get all confused. Uh, you know, try, try, I, all the, all the different ways that that interaction occurs without it. It's so difficult to try to think, okay, how, because as soon as I start getting ready to teach, I, 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 my mind tells me, okay, this is the part I would ask them this question, or this is the part I would say, okay, well, what about this? Or this is the part where I would, I would say, okay, um, I would try to lead them to a part like, okay, I don't get this. What's the right answer? And then see what people come up with. All the different techniques that I would typically use in my teaching, I can't use because there's no one in this room. It's empty. Uh, and so I, I have grown very, 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 very weary of this. Very, very weary of it. I think a lot of pastors have. Um, I don't know what the, uh, there are there are no easy answers. I know that uh, the good thing is schools have reopened, so we're going to get a very good indication uh, with within probably the next seven days, maybe the next fourteen days. We're going to know what's going to happen. Now we know in a, certain parts of the country schools opened, and all of a sudden they're like, "Stop! Close everything down," because they've had major outbreaks of cases of COVID-19. You've had major universities who opened. Now they're reversing their policy. They're going back to online learning. Uh, you've had some uh, high schools and other schools uh, across the country that opened, and now they're having to reverse their policy. I don't know what is going to happen in our local area that by sometime this week, we end up with all the, you know, everywhere we look, you know, cases are, are, are going back up and the schools have to reclose. If that's the case, then that means it's starting to be spreading locally. If that doesn't happen, then uh, if that doesn't happen, then that's a good sign until we possibly get a second wave somewhere in September, October or November. But until then, so what I'm I'm really wanting to and I may I'm, I'm going to stress may I will give you plenty of notice, but I may next Sunday at least try to have Sunday school and Sunday morning, at least Sunday school and Sunday morning. And then uh, maybe do live streaming for Sunday night and Wednesday. Um, and then we'll, we'll see how the next week goes and may try to at least get Sunday morning, uh, Sunday school and Sunday morning going back again in person, possibly. But uh, we'll have to just take it uh, case by, you know, week by week 
and uh, see how things develop. So that's that's what I'm thinking. I may change my mind. Uh, maybe right now it's just I'm tired of I'm tired of trying to teach this way. It just it just doesn't like every time I'm finished, I'm like that stinks. So that that was so bad. That was so bad. And so um, I'm not I I you know I, I need a, I need a break. I need a break. Uh, at least a little break. Like just break it up a little bit, have actual people in front of me. And I know that there's a greater chance of actually having a successful number of people on a Sunday morning than obviously there are a Wednesday night when people have this to do or work or this or can't. And so Wednesdays are hard enough to even uh, accomplish. Even sometimes Sunday nights are hard. Sunday morning, we usually are, are pretty successful. So, um, so maybe we can we can do that. That's that's a thought. If you have any, uh, if you have a, a different opinion, you can please let me know. Um, members of the church, you can. Uh, well, you know my phone number, you know my email, or you can contact me in the uh, chat channel. Um, one, one of those ways. We, we will see. Um, again, depending on news that comes this week, I may have to throw that idea out there. But yeah, there we go. Now I say all of that because this morning is going to be weird. All right. Now I. <laughs> I don't even know how the, this is going to be. This is probably going to be a big time failure, but I, I'm really stuck here and, and I'll try to explain. Obviously, when we started the book of Romans, I had no idea that we would end up trying to continue the book of Romans in a situation where we're going to live streaming. Um, obviously, the book of Romans, is, as we have seen, is a very difficult book to teach, obviously. Um, there are sections that are very complicated. And yes, I know that all the other sermons I listen to, all the other churches act like it's no big deal, it's easy, and they just move on and they can they can knock out 10 verses in one sermon. I don't know how they're able to sleep at night doing that because these sections of Scripture are very complicated and difficult. Obviously, we arrived at Romans 5, 12 through what, 21, which some say is the most difficult section in the entire book. So when I'm dealing with a section like that, obviously I definitely need people in front of me. I definitely need that, okay, you know, that, that you're there and I can kind of see what's going on. I can see the, I can, I can try to at least perceive what's happening. Now, maybe my perception is wrong, but at least I can try, I have something to interpret other than an empty building. But when you're dealing with the most difficult section, the last thing you want to do is be sitting here behind a microphone in an empty building trying to work your way through this. It just, the, the, the energy, they're, they're not the same energy. There's not the same, uh, it just the, the whole vibe is different. I don't know how it comes across from you, the listener, but from me, the speaker, it doesn't feel right. It feels like everything is broken. So obviously, if I knew 2020 was going to turn into a pandemic and everything was going to be shut down, the last thing I would have done is started the book of Romans. I would have said, well, wait until that. No, because trying to do it this way is just crazy. Well, we we got into Romans 5. And we started unpacking verse 12 through 21 in a lot of different ways. We did kind of an overview where I tried to give you some things that we need to look for to try to help us with the difficult passage. We took a, a very interesting detour to kind of build a systematic theology, a, a theology on the doctrine of sin. We really dug into that using a grid systematic theology. We've looked at a lot of issues. So now we're kind of le left with what do I do now with Romans 5, 12 through 21? We've looked at it, maybe not in a direct way, but in an indirect way, we've kind of looked at all the concepts. We've taken all of the concepts apart in a very in-depth way. I mean, Grudem's systematic theology, we covered everything. 
We covered what we inherited from Adam. We, we talked about inherited sin versus actual sin. We looked at all of those concepts. So really everything in Romans 5, 12 through 21 has been covered, really. I mean, we've kind of covered it. So then what do I do? Do I just say, okay, well, let's just move on to chapter six. Well, I don't feel like I can do that. But if I start trying to work our way back through it, that I feel like I'm going to teach what I've already taught. So what do I do? I don't know what to do. I don't know. So I I got here this morning. I was going to do uh, some recording this morning, but I, I just kind of sat here, kept looking at Romans 5, 12 through 21, going, what do I do? 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 I need to figure this out. I need to figure this out because I've got to teach soon. And then as soon as Sunday school ended, I started going, what do I do? What do I do? What do I do? And I still don't have a very great, I still don't have a great idea. So this is, this is my thought process. And you've got to think this way because if you don't, uh, I mean, this may be, I don't know how well this is going to go. This may end up being a disaster, but this is what I'm going to do. I'm just going to walk us through Romans 5, 12 through 21. I'm just going to walk us through it. I'm not going to be able to expound. I'm not going to try to expound every verse. I'm not going to try to create some very deep, uh, you know, detailed outline. I'm just going to try to make this simple and it's going to kind of serve as a summary, kind of as a review, as an overview to try to get us ready for Romans chapter six, which is going to create Romans six, Romans seven is going to unleash all kinds of problems. I, I, I don't even know. I don't even know how to handle some of the issues we're going to get to in Romans six, seven, and following, before we even get to the really controversial sections of Romans, but I think Romans 6 and 7 and some of those deal with very practical issues, and I'm going to end up disagreeing with most of Christianity on them because I think reality doesn't carry out how many Christians teach a certain, Christians teach a certain uh idea about your relationship and my relationship to sin. They almost say, hey, now that you're a Christian, you're free from sin. You've been set free. The bondage has been broken. And then they'll tell you, however, you're not going to be perfect. Well, if I'm not going to be perfect and I'm going to sin every day, then how free am I? How free am I? Now, when I start raising those questions, then I'm going to be going against most of the way Christians handle Romans 6 and 7 and following. So I'm not looking forward to that because that's just going to be controversy, 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 controversy. But I, you know, if we're going to deal with it, we have to do, I mean, I'm not going to deny reality. I'm not going to sit there and say, you're free, but you're going to sin every day. Well, then you're not free, right? Okay. You're free, but you can't be perfect. Well, then I'm not free. There's a limit to my freedom. Okay. So like, am I free or am I not free? How free am I? What do you mean by that? I'm free. So we're going to have to deal with all of those issues. So we're just going to walk through Romans 5, 12 through 21. I don't know how long this is going to take. I'm just going to go through this. If it goes quick, great. Now, I know some of you are laughing because you know that even if I try to walk through it, I'm going to start re-preaching it, but I can't do that because we're never going to get through this. So we're going to walk through this and we're going to see what happens. I am going to give you a very simplistic, a very simplistic outline. Elementary. It's embarrassingly childish, but I'm going to give you this outline. All right, here we go. Here is the outline for Romans 5, 12 through 21. Are you ready? All right, see, this is where I need people. This is where I need people here. All right, here we go, all right. Romans 5, 12 through 21, my childish elementary outline. Number one, Adam and the reign of death, verse 12 to 14. Adam and the reign of death, verse 12 through 14. Adam and the reign of death, 
verse 12 through 14. Number two, Christ and the reign of life, verse 15 to verse 21. There you have it. I'm going to to for for to to simplify it. Romans 5:12 through 21 offers a contrast. It contrasts. It sets at against one another. Here's Adam and the reign of death verses 12 through 14 versus Christ and the reign of life. They're in they're contrasted. They're compared. They're in conflict with one another. Here is Adam and Adam reigns and with his reign comes death. Then here's Christ, he is he reigns, and with his reign is the reign of life, verses 15 to 21, right? So Adam in the reign of death, verses 12 through 14, Christ in the reign of life, verses 15 through 21. I will be utilizing, um, I got the King James here, I will be utilizing the NIV here as well to try to help clarify some of the language, and we're just going to see this. Now I've got everything falling off the table. I need the pulpit here with all the books stacked and and I don't have the microphone right in front of me, but all right, here we go. Are you ready? Let's, uh, let's go with, we'll start with the King James, all right? Romans chapter 5, verse 12. And this is where I would say, and what is this section called? And then someone should say, uh, that's what I need to do. I just need to pretend that people are there and I'll, and I'll be me and the people, all right? Okay, now, now, now sometimes this is how it works. All right, everyone, I just gave everyone the outline. This is how it works. I give everyone the outline. I repeat the outline 17 times uh, to the people on uh, the people listening. Sometimes get irritated how many times I repeat it. But then this is what happens. I'll say, okay, guys, uh, Romans 5, 12 through 21, I'm giving you the outline. All right, so we're going to look at verse 12. So this section is called, and then this sometimes is what happens in the church. This is what I hear. Yeah, that's called silence. Yeah, and I'm like, no, people, everyone. Yeah, I just gave you the outline, right? Yeah, you, you were writing it down. Yeah, that outline. Yeah, that's the one. So so what section are we in, everyone? Adam and the reign of death. And I I know you, what people are going to say. That's not true. Okay, well, it you'd have to, you, you're you you're free to stand behind the pulpit and, and see what it, 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 it's like sometimes, all right? So, but, uh, so, so today it works out really good. Yeah, so there's silence. All right, everybody ready? Here we go. Adam in the reign of death, verse 12. Wherefore, as by one man, sin entered into the world. Now stop right there. We know who the one man is. The one man is obviously Adam. We've talked about this. We've demonstrated this. Uh, we, we could go back. We even can, we, we try to connect this to, to uh, Genesis chapter three. We talked about everything, all, all of this. We've went into great detail with all of this. One man, sin entered into the world, and that man is Adam. Now, a couple of just important notes to remember here. Adam obviously is viewed here as a real, literal person. And through that real, literal person, sin entered in to time and space. It entered into the existence and the life of the world. So Romans, if, if you if you say Adam is allegorical and Adam wasn't real and it's just some kind of myth, then you have to say Romans 5, 12 and following is based off a myth. Therefore, it's not real. It's not true and throw it out. So how some Christians try to throw out the first part of Genesis just being an allegory. I don't know what you do when you get to Romans. Based off an allegory, allegorically, sin entered into the world, okay? Well, then that means sin is an allegory, all right? So, like, the whole thing falls apart. So, 
one man, sin entered into the world and death by sin and death passed upon all men for that all have sinned. Now, please note, we talked about how this has worked. Everyone dies, right? That's the reality of the human existence is everyone is going to die. Death comes with sin. Sin entered into the world. Everyone dies because everyone sins. Now, remember, everyone sins, and we talked about this. We all sinned in Adam, so we're all guilty in Adam. His his guilt, his his condemnation is ours. We sinned in him, right, because we inherit his guilt. Remember, we have a sinful nature that we inherited with him, and then we sin in practice. Everyone sins in practice. We fall short over and over and over again. But please note how it works. Follow exactly how this works. Sin enters into the world. So what enters first? Sin. Then what comes with sin? Death. You can't have death before sin. You have to have sin before death. That's the New Testament teaching. So you can't mess with Genesis and somehow have thousands of years of everything dying before sin entered the world. That that is an absolute breaking of the biblical model. The biblical model is sin entered in the world and what came with sin? Death. Death is the result of sin. Sin brings about death. That's the biblical model. So you can't go back and change Genesis unless you're just going to throw out the whole Bible. You, you can't you can't play these games that some Christians want to play. You can't do it, all right? One man, a real man, Adam, through his action, sin entered into the world and death then came with it. And then what happened with, and then as a result of this, death passed upon all men for that all have sinned. Every death is a reminder of the reality of sin. Every graveyard is an is an object lesson. It's right there. It's a living it's a it's a it's a physical illustration, I should say, because obviously it's a graveyard, but it's a physical illustration of the reality of sin. If anyone says I don't believe in sin, well then there's the graveyard. That proves sin. Death is the result of sin. Death proves sin exists and that we're all infected by it because we all die because we have all sinned. All right? I just very straightforward. You don't need a lot of help, but this is all from Adam, all right? This is all flowing from Adam. What does Adam bring? He brings sin and he brings death. So what's what's a characteristic of Adam's reign? Sin and death. Sin and death is all a part of Adam's reign. Verse 13, for until the law was in the world, but sin is not imputed where there is no law. Now, it seems like a weird statement, but it's like, hey, before the law, there, there, there isn't no sin. However, nevertheless, verse 14, death reigned from Adam unto Moses, even over them that had not sinned after the similitude of Adam's transgression, who is the figure of him who was to come. And you're like, well, wait a minute. If there was no law, how was everyone dying? Well, everyone was dying because everyone was guilty in Adam. All right? So I make it very clear. Everyone dies. Infants can die. People of all ages, it doesn't matter where, death happens because we have all sinned. We're all guilty in Adam. They were all guilty in Adam. Even before a law came about, they were still guilty in Adam. Before they could commit a sin that would have made them made them guilty according to the law of Moses, they were still guilty because they had broken God's law given to Adam in Adam. 
and his guilt was their guilt, therefore they could die. It explains it, right? Very important principle, right? Now, uh, verse 14, nevertheless, death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over them that had not sinned after the similitude of Adam's transgression, who is the figure of him that was to come. Now, verse, so there's, there's the reign of Adam, verses 12 through 14. We have the reign of Adam, and it's very simple. Sin and death. Adam reigns, and what's, what's connected to his reign? Sin and death. That's what's connected. And we are all under Adam's reign by birth. By birth, we are under this reign. We are guilty. We're sinners, and we will die physically, and we will uh, will experience the second death. It's the painful reminder and reality of the world in which we live. Uh, some of you know about the uh, one of our listeners. Her daughter had cancer. We did what we could to try to help support uh, support them with uh, with finances for her uh, her daughter's cancer treatment. Well, sadly, this week, the daughter passed away. It's horrible news, sad news. Um, obviously, no parent wants to have to go through that. No parent has to want to go that. And obviously, my heart reaches, you know, our, our hopefully all of our prayers and all of our sympathy goes out to the, fa- to the whole family for everything that has occurred. It's, it's a horrible situation, but it's just a painful reminder of the world in which we live. Adam brought sin into the world. The whole world is cursed. And guess what comes with Adam's reign? Death. And it's just the painful rem- reminder that that's, that's what Adam brought into the world. Whether we can, we can argue about it, but it's the reality in which we live. Now, in contrast with that, there is the reign of Adam. There is the reign of Adam. And what does he bring with it? Sin and death. That's the hallmarks of his reign. That's what he is known for. All right. Now, Starting verse 15. And I'm going to switch here to the NIV here for this. Starting in verse 15. But the gift is not like the trespass. For if the man died by the trespass of the one man, how much more did God's grace and the gift that came by the grace of the one man Jesus Christ overflow to the many. All right, here we're going to draw this major contrast. We have, here's here's the reign of Adam and it brings with sin and death. And then all of a sudden there's this major change. Okay, we have the one man, Adam. Now I'll pick up the King James. But not as the offense, so also is the free gift. For if through the offense of one, many be dead, much more the grace of God and the gift by grace, which is by one man, Jesus Christ, hath abounded unto many. Now we have the one man, Adam. Now we have the one man, Christ Jesus. The one man, Adam, he brought with it trespass. He brought sin. He brought death. But the one man, Christ, it's not like the offense. It's not like the trespass as the NIV puts it, right? It's not, um, uh, see, picking up the NIV again, but the gift is not like the trespass. It's the gift that's gonna come from, from this one man is not like the trespass. Adam, in a sense, brought a gift with him. It was sin and death, okay? But the gift here is not like the trespass. For if one man died by the trespass, uh, for if the many died by the trespass of the one man, right? And which is true, many, we all, Everyone will is going to physically die because of that trespass. How much more 
did God's grace and the gift that came by the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, overflow to the many. He's trying to draw the contrast. As great, as destructive, as devastating as Adam's reign was and the gift that he brought, there is something far greater, something far better, something that tr- that transcends, supersedes everything Adam brought, and that's the one man Christ Jesus and what he brought with it. And please note, the, he brought the gift of grace, all right? Much more the grace of God and the gift by grace, which is by one man, Jesus Christ, hath abounded unto many. With God, with Christ comes grace, comes grace. And with that grace comes forgiveness. With that grace comes something better than sin and death. Now, please note, it's grace that he brought. He didn't bring, he didn't bring your ability or my ability. He brought grace. Grace is something that we don't deserve, something that we can't earn. Some, that's what makes it better. Hey, death, we, you and I are guilty. We're guilty in Adam and we're guilty by pra- we're in our own practice. Therefore, we deserve, we earn death. We can say, well, I didn't earn it from Adam, but you sin every single day. So guess what? If you can live a perfect life and you've never sinned, then I guess you can make an argument. But since you're never going to pull that off, guess what? You've earned it. You've earned it. You've earned the title sinner, even though because of your sinful nature produced those sinful actions, you still have sinned. And guess what? In a sense, you've earned that death. You deserve that death. You are guilty in Adam and you're guilty in practice. You're guilty by what you do and by what you've left undone. But here comes Christ and it's something better. It is not something you've earned. You can't earn it. It's grace and it abounds to the many. It abounds to those who put their faith in Christ Jesus. Now, let's, let's continue with this contrast here. Let's continue. Going back to the, uh, the NIV, verse 16. Nor can the gift of God be compared with the result of one man's sin. The judgment followed one sin and brought condemnation, but the gift followed many trespasses and brought justification. Now, I love the way that states it. Let me read it uh, from the, uh, the King James. For not as it was by one that sinned, so is the gift. For the judgment was by one to condemnation, but the free gift of many offenses unto justification. All right, you've got Adam, he brings sin. And what did he bring with sin? He brings condemnation. He brings judgment. It brings judgment. It brings condemnation. It brings death brings everything negative. But here comes Christ. And listen, but the free gift is of many offenses unto justification. The free gift of God, his grace doesn't bring condemnation. It brings justification and it brings justification. Now, please, this is very interesting. In fact, it was, it was funny. Um, and uh, we have the Slack channel for the church, and I have another Slack channel for my, my, my friends in Nebraska. I think they're all in Nebraska. I think one's in Missouri. Um, and they're my, they watch wrestling, you know, books, music. We talk about all of those things, and we talk about theology. And someone uh, in there had just sent me an article 
from EWTN, the Catholic network, on, on justification, and they were, they were pointing out something about the article on justification and about which part was good, and then I was explaining how the, you have to interpret the Catholic language in regards to justification. So all of that was going on while I uh, – in the middle of Sunday school. Uh, I was being sent that, but it's just interesting that it brought, it brought up justification. Well, here we have the idea of justification being contrasted. Here's Adam. He sins. He's reigning. He brings in death and condemnation. He brings in judgment. Okay, he, that's what he brings in. But here comes in Christ, and he's going to do something different. Hey, there's going to be offenses. There's going to be sin. But because of his grace, guess what he's going to bring? He's not going to bring condemnation. He's going to bring justification. And remember how we understand justification. It's We believe it as a legal declaration. God is going to declare me to be just. He's going to declare me to be righteous. He's going to declare me to be holy and perfect because the righteousness of Christ is imputed to my account. That's what makes what Christ did better than what Adam. In Adam, I'm found guilty. In Christ, I'm declared righteous and holy. I am declared perfect. I'm declared as if I've never sinned. And if that is our belief in justification, we have to, we have to, we have to, I mean, that, that has major implications in the way we view one another and how we view when we sin and, and so many different things. Sometimes as Christians, we're like, well, in Christ, you're justified and you're declared righteous as if you never sinned, but you did sin and we're going to hold that against you. Well, but in Christ, I'm not, I'm declared perfect. And in, in Christ, even a man like Adam, could be declared to be a man after God's own heart. Even uh, the men in the Bible who who did horrible things are declared to be righteous. Why? Not because they were. They 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 they're declared sometimes like sometimes David is spoken of as if he kept the law perfectly. No, he didn't. He violated it. But why could it be? Because in in God's righteousness imputed to him. He's perfectly righteous. He's a law keeper, not a law breaker. In practice, you may be a law breaker, but in Christ, you're a law keeper. Now, I know this always makes people nervous because they're saying, so then you can run around and do anything you want. No, but it states that if I do the wrong thing, it doesn't change my justification. If it did, Christ, if, if, if it wasn't, if I wasn't, if I, if my justification is based on what I do, me keeping it, me earning it, me doing something, then Romans 5, this wouldn't be better than what Adam gave. It would be, it would, it wouldn't be, it wouldn't be better by any means because it would be dependent upon me and what I do. And what did we see from Adam and Eve? When it, when it's left to our ability, even when we don't even have a sinful nature, we're going to sin. Okay. Adam and Eve didn't even have a sinful nature and they sinned. What's, what's my hope of justification if it's based on me and I have a sinful nature? There is no hope because I'm going to sin. All right, this is the contrast here. This is why it's so much better, all right? So let me read these verses again. I'm gonna go back to the NIV, verse 15. But the gift is not like the trespass. For if the many died by the trespass of the one man, how much more did God's grace and the gift that came by the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, overflow to the many? Nor can the gift of God be compared with the result of the one man's sin. The judgment followed one sin and brought condemnation, but the gift followed many trespasses and brought justification. Right? Verse 17 from the NIV. For if by the trespass of the one man, death reigned through that one man, how much more will those who receive God's abundant provision of grace and of the gift of righteousness reign in life 
through the one man, Jesus Christ. Please note, we receive the gift of righteousness. This is a righteousness that is given to us, imputed to us. It's not that we become righteous in practice. We are declared righteous, all right? And and, and we're gonna reign in life through the one man and, and, and Jesus Christ. Why are we gonna reign in him? Because we are declared righteous. Let me read it from the, the uh, King James. For if by one man's offense, death reigned, this is verse 17, Romans 5, 17. For if by one man's offense, death reigned by one, much more they which receive the abundance of grace and of the gift of righteousness shall reign in the life by one Jesus Christ, right? We have received the gift of righteousness, grace, justification, all in Christ. And Adam, death, sin, condemnation, judgment. And Christ, grace, life, righteousness, justification, completely opposite to one another, completely in conflict with one another. Verse 19, for as by one man's disobedience, many were made sinners. So by the obedience of one shall many be made righteous. Now, again, we don't believe that means that I am made righteous in practice because I'm, listen, I have to stress this because when we get to Romans 7 and 8 and some of these other sections, this issue is going to come up. Let me make it clear. We are not made righteous in practice. You say, well, we become more righteous. Even if you think, look, if you're guilty of one point of the law, you're guilty of all of it. No matter how righteous you think you become because you became a Christian, you're never going to be really completely righteous. You're going to still be a sinner. You're never going to be perfect. So when it says I'm made righteous, you can't say I was made righteous in a practical way because that practical way is never going to be consistent. I'm going to fall all the time, but I am made righteous positionally. I am made perfectly righteous because the righteousness of Christ is imputed to my account. If that's not the truth, then I'm made righteous. This It's almost like the Catholic system. You're made righteous instantaneously, you know, when you're baptized. Boom, you're infused with this righteousness. You're righteous. And then what do you do? You sin. And then what do you have to do? You got to go back to the church for confession and penance. And what do you need? You need all the sacraments to try to hopefully keep you in a state of grace so that you can die and get to purgatory. But it's all about you trying this and you got to work this and you need this and you got to try this. You need this. You need an indulgence. You got to do this. 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 Well, how is that better? How is that better? And then if you commit a mortal sin, you lose all of God's grace. You destroy God's grace. It's like it's like a continuing, never-ending cycle of probation, right? That's that's not that's not good news. I guess it's so, I mean, I'll take that back. It's, it's partially good news because yeah, I mean, it goes from condemnation to at least you have a chance. So that's good news, but I want, I don't need a, a chance is not good news to me because I know how that story is going to play out. I know how that's going to play out. It's going to play out in my failure. It's going to play out in my sin. It's going to play out in my ultimate eternal demise. I know how that's going to play. I'm not going to win that battle. So it may be partially good news, but it's only prolonging the inevitable failure that I will encounter and you will encounter. So I I think when it says we're made righteous, we have to understand that is an imputed righteousness or it makes no sense. Verse 20 in the King James. Moreover, the law entered that the offense might abound, but where sin abounded, grace did much more abound. All right, so the law enters in. Right. So remember, Adam sins. 
Everyone dies because everyone's guilty in Adam, even though the law hadn't been given yet. The law had not been given yet, but then the law shows up. And when the law showed up, it didn't make it any better, right? Because where the law showed up, the offense might abound. The law only revealed how messed up we were. The law was there to reveal how sinful we were. The law was there to increase our guilt. The law was there to reveal our guilt. The law was there to go, oh man, now I violated this. Now I've got more things I'm violating. Now I'm, I'm not guilty just in Adam. I'm guilty in practice because these, there's 900 laws here, you know, obviously a little hyperbole. There's all of these laws and I'm violating and I'm violating and I'm violating. It just, the, the offense, the sin increased. It abounded the more. All right, let's read that in uh, how the NIV puts it. The law was brought in so that the trespass might increase. The law was brought in to increase the trespass, to increase the sin. That's what it did. All right, grace, uh, but where sin increased, grace increased all the more. The law shows up, increases the guilt, increases the sin, but grace Grace is more, it, it, grace is greater than sin. It overcomes it. It's better than, it, 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 it takes care of it. Why? Because in God's grace, I am declared perfectly righteous and holy because the perfect righteousness of Christ is given to me. And guess what? My sin can't change that. My sin can't overcome that. My sin cannot destroy that. It can't destroy my justification. It can't destroy the righteousness that's been imputed to my account. It's perfectly there. It's the perfect righteousness righteousness of Christ. And the perfect righteousness of Christ is greater than any sin I can commit. Even though other people may not perceive it that way, that's the biblical understanding. Right? And I, I just want you to just, but where sin abounded, grace did much more abound. But where sin abounded, grace did much more abound. I may put uh, Romans 5.20 on the Bible memory app. I may put that there, all right? Um, because, man, that's really good. And I'm going to be putting all of Psalm 95. If you listen to the, uh, the the little devotional thing I did this morning, you'll know why I'm putting Psalm 95 there as well. So that will show up there. Then last verse, verse 21. That as sin hath reigned unto death, even so might grace reign through righteousness unto eternal life by Jesus Christ. Adam, his reign brings sin, brings death, brings condemnation. The law, all it brings about is more sin and more condemnation. But guess what? Through Christ, grace reigns. Righteousness and eternal life. In Christ, grace reigns because he brings grace. Righteousness, because he gives me an imputed righteousness that cannot be overthrown by any other. No, nothing can remove righteousness from its, uh, its from my life. Nothing can, can re- nothing, even no matter how much I sin, it can't change the reign of righteousness because righteousness has been imputed to me. And guess what? Eternal life. Yes, I'm still going to physically die. That's no, that's, that's the downside. That's the downside. I wish that when you become a Christian, we could just escape physical death. But remember, for the Christian, something radically changes. Physical death is simply the trance. We It simply becomes a doorway. Uh, death is just, we just step through a doorway from, from a physical life right here on earth, and I step through a doorway through eter- to, and I enter into eternal life. It's just 
I'm just transported from one existence to another existence. That's all physical death is. It's 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 not it's it's not even it's not the end of really. You could say it's the end. It's not even really te- technically. It's the end of my life here. I, I I um the person whose daughter died. She uh when she emailed me, she goes uh she gave her daughter's name and said her earthly life ended. I believe on Tuesday, her earthly life ended on Tuesday. Her right, her earthly life did, but she's. As uh, as a Christian, she is as much alive right now as she was, even more so because the cancer is gone. Now there's now no more pain. There's now no more suffering. There's now no more death. There's there, it's over. It's gone. It's finished. It's done. It's all taken care of. It's all of it's removed. So it's 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 a a, a, a movement from one to another, and 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 that's why God's grace and His reign is far superior than Adam. Adam brings physical death. Christ brings eternal life. Adam brings eternal death. Christ brings eternal life. And, and, that, and, and we begin to experience, we're supposed to experience the eternal life now. There's a, there's a quality of that life that we can experience right now in Christ. But we have, the, we have righteousness and it is reigning in your life and my life. And there's Romans 5, 12 through 21 contrasting the reign of Adam and death with Christ and the reign of grace, life, righteousness, and all of those things. There is the contrast. We have every little issue that has been brought up there in those verses that I could stop and go back and work our way through. We've covered. We dealt with the entire, we dealt with every difficulty there. We you may not realize it, but we've covered everything there. If you think there's something there that I did not cover, let me know and I'll go back and work on it. But I, we've co- all of that work on Grudem systematic theology, it may have felt like, what is he doing? Why is he going through all of this? It may have felt tiresome, tedious, and like, when, I don't know. We were working through it for a specific reason. We had to cover all of those issues because all of those issues pertain to everything we just talked about. All of that discussion about justification, all of that discussion about infused and imputed righteousness, all of those issues, we've all we've covered them. There's no reason to cover them again. So there is your summary. There is Romans 5 through uh, 12 through 21. There you have it. Now that will bring us to chapter 6, which will begin with these words. I'm going to go back to the King James. What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Now it's going to start translating and it's going to start now the transition, I, I should say, the transition, it's going, to, it's going to transfer, it's going to transition from a discussion of this kind of theological understanding of sin, this idea of, you know, that we have a sinful nature, the imputed righteousness of Christ. It's going to move from all of kind of a theological discussion and my positional standing before God. And it's going to transition and now to, okay, how does this play out in your life and my life in a practical way? Every day, how does this work in my life? And this is where it's going to get controversial. And we're going to have to really look at this and try to understand what we do with this. Because what a lot of people do is say, hey, see all that thing how many preachers are going to approach this? You see everything God did for you positionally? Well, guess what? That has a practical implication in your life. Just you have now been set free. You're no longer under the bondage. So you no longer have to live in sin. You know, you're free now to, to stop sinning. Well, again, every preacher who says that then usually backtracks five seconds later and says, but you're not going to be perfect. Well, if I'm not going to be perfect, that means I'm not free. 
So we're going to have to get into all of that theological information we just looked at. How does that play out in your life and my life? Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. That's going to be the question. And we're going to have to find out the correct way to apply it. Just like we in Proverbs 3, what's the correct way to take God's wisdom and apply it in real life? Well, what is the correct way to take these theological truths about justification, imputed righteousness, and all of these things, God's grace, God's mercy, we're now under the reign of Christ, we're no longer in the reign of Adam. How does all of that now apply to your daily life? That's what we're going to have to figure out. And now, hopefully, you've got the theological foundation to now try to engage in Romans 6, 7, and following that you are now prepared to do so. But if your theological foundation is wrong, this practical application of the theological foundation can occur if your theological foundation is all messed up. All right. So hopefully now you're prepared. All right. I'm just going to stop right there. There you have it. We're going to finish early. Let's pray. Lord God, we come before you this morning. I am so grateful for the reign of your son, Jesus Christ. I'm so thankful for grace. I'm so grateful that grace is greater than my sin. I'm so grateful for an imputed righteousness. I'm so grateful that my position before you is determined by your your son, his finished work and his righteousness, because if it had anything to do with me, then I would be condemned and spend an eternity in hell. I thank you for your son. I thank you for the gift that you gave us in your son, that he came and died, and that through him, I may have life and I may have grace and I may have righteousness. We praise your name. And we praise the name of your son, Jesus Christ, and it's in his name that we pray. God's people said, amen.